Dallas is is um, do they have a running back situation going <laughs> they on? Should. Now? I, I mean, how many t- how long have we been talking about Tony Pollard? It's awesome and his production. Yeah. And sort of the explosiveness. Now, Ezekiel Elliott in the first game against Tampa that we did, some of his blitz pickups right. probably and that's why I think kept him in the game, right? That's why they haven't made a switch, I think. Is, yeah, and, is, and and then the argument is, why are you talking about this? This is stupid. This is the NFL, 17 games. You need two backs anyway. But Tony Pollard now, as far as, okay, I need a running play. Are you – which one are you giving the ball to now? I mean, I'm giving it to Pollard. He's averaging almost twice as many yards per carry. He's just the more explosive runner. I think it's a more, it's a scarier rushing attack when you hand him the ball, and they have the highest run blocking grade of any offensive line in the NFL right now. And having gone up against you know some good defensive fronts themselves, so. All right, welcome into the Chris Collinsworth podcast. We have uh, our special guest here, Mike Renner, who is in charge of everything uh, college football, draft related, team to team in the NFL. He's got it all going on. And Sam Monson, co host of the most popular podcast <laughs> in North America, uh, wow. along with Steve Palazzolo. So we are just going to, this is what I call PE for me. Like during school, I don't know if they have, they have PE in Ireland. They have. Uh, we have PE. Are we talking about the same thing, though? I don't we'll know. probably call it something crazy. That's what I mean. Like, what is your PE? <laughs> like, it's uh, athletic. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. You get yeah. to go outside and run around yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. a kid. Yeah, same yeah. thing. So, yeah. So we get to do that. So this is my PE. Otherwise, it's like all work on one game or other work and this is where we're just going to talk about the league we're going to talk anything on your mind how was your trip to uh to penn state by the way oh it was incredible i'd never been so i'd never been to like 106,000 people yeah, over 109 actually all wearing masks i'm sure right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it was cool everyone had the vaccine everyone was no i doubt it but it was uh rocking like that was the atmosphere there around penn state and just like the setup they have for games was probably one of the coolest ones I've ever been to, especially with the whiteout and everything. That was a bucket list item for sure. So now, are you guys going to go every week now? Or where are you going? Yeah. So this week's Soldier Field, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, or Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Yeah, there Soldier. You go. So that's going to be a fun one. You got all the pregame shows going to be there, big noon kicks there, game days there, and the tailgate podcast is going to be there. Can Can uh, Notre Dame hang on? Can they? Yeah, they can hang on, Chris. Okay. Can, All right. I'm, I'm, a, can, I'm a little worried about Jack this Jack Cohen revenge. I'm, uh, I'm a little worried about this one. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm going to read down the list. One of the great things about working at PFF is that you get a chance to see stuff that you ordinarily wouldn't see, right? I mean, we have opinions and we have data and we have stuff on everything. So the top quarterback this past week, you guys probably know Daniel Jones. How about yeah. that? I mean, that was very impressive considering his offensive line is a major issue. But 11 completions on passes, 10 or more yards downfield. That was the most. So congratulations to him. Uh, running back, Derrick Henry, no surprise there. Wide receiver, Cooper Cup, no big surprise there. Travis Kelsey at tight end. Okay, we get that. How about tackle? Did Jordan Mailata just become a thing that I missed? I, when he got paid like that, I was like, what the hell? What, when did this start happening? And now he's our number one graded uh, tackle, the highest run blocking grade uh, this week. But the overall grade was great, too. Well, look, you know, rugby guy. So he was obviously oh, going to be good. Go. <laughs> Have you ever seen his, his rugby highlights? 
I did, yeah, when he was right. getting signed. They're yeah. like watching, you know, Derrick Henry high school highlights, where it's just like this guy doesn't belong on the same field with everybody else. And they were it's the same kind of level. I think he was in the the South Sydney Rabbitohs, like their under twenty three or their under twenty setup or whatever, and he was just twice as big as everybody out there and just running over people and demolishing them all. The Philadelphia Eagles spent what, a seventh round pick? Yeah. Something yeah. like that, and now he is like the best. It's unbelievable. Zach Martin, a guard for Dallas, no big deal. Connor McGovern, that one surprised me a little bit at center. Uh, interior defensive lineman Aaron Donald, okay. Micah Parsons on the edge. He is the edge player for the Dallas Cowboys, drafted. He was an off-ball linebacker yep. for the most part. He played a little bit on the end, right, mm -hmm. at Penn State. But this is impressive. Yeah, if you watched him at Penn State, like I said coming out, I'm like, if you, if you wanted to draft him as an edge rusher, I would have drafted him before any of the other edge rushers in the draft class, just like from the way he played. And now he didn't really ever line up at edge rusher and rush the passer. But when you saw him blitz, and he did that a lot from an off-ball perspective, like you saw him use his hands well, you saw him attack blocks violently, and you obviously saw him and his freak athleticism being able to win and knife into the backfield. So I said, you know, he really didn't even look that polished going up against Storm Norton, but he is just so physically dominant, probably – you know, him and Von Miller are neck and neck for the most gifted edge rushers in terms of just what they can do from an explosiveness standpoint, from an agility standpoint in the NFL. And that, that gives you a high floor when you're at that position because it's such a physically demanding position so that, you know, when you're attacked like Storm Norton, who not the most fleet of foot, not the most athletic dude, he's just going to beat you like a drum. One sack, three hits, four hurries in that game. That's, uh, that's impressive. Matt Milano from Buffalo who just – I, he's doing it as a blitzer now. I always think of him as like a coverage kind of guy. 20 blitzes in that game. Getting it done. Jalen Johnson, the Bears corner, who kind of emerged last year, and he comes out as the top-rated uh, cornerback uh, for the week, 92 grade there, an interception, two forced fumbles. And safety Mike Edwards, how about two pick, pick sixes, sixes in one game? I saw his press conference. He was like, you could tell he was like so uncomfortable. He'd never been up there on the podium, you know, in front of the whole press thing. But he lines it up and, and knocks it out. All right, so we're going to rip through a few of these things. I'm so tempted to start on the back end. As a matter of fact, I am going to do that. I, I'm going to, because people will just turn off the podcast at some point. I understand how that works. Sometimes real life gets in the way. So let's get, let's get to some of the big games this week and make sure that we, we're covering all this stuff. Tampa Bay at the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. This legitimately could be a preview of the NFC Championship game. I mean, what we're seeing out of Matthew Stafford is there's no question to step up over Jared Goff at this point, right? I mean, he is the number two guy as far as – but as far as our power rankings go, the Bucks are number two, the Rams are number four, and this is, this is going to be a show. It is, yeah. And I, I think it's really interesting because it's our first look at what this – Matthew Stafford Rams offense looks like against a real defense you know they've they've looked fantastic it's been as advertised so far on the other hand you look at the teams they faced and you're like I mean you would probably expect them to look pretty good so far now they go up against Tampa Bay who okay they're a bit banged up in the secondary but they have a nasty front seven they are going to give them a challenge does it still look the same or do we start to see some cracks and does Matthew Stafford start to look a little bit more like Matthew Stafford from Detroit. I think that like it's their first big test. I think that's the biggest thing is what I'm looking for. And it's kind of for both quarterbacks because Matt Stafford has been pressured at the lowest rate of any quarterback in the NFL this year, 20.3%. That's going to change this week. Number two on that list, 
Tom Brady, 21.1%. I think that's going to change also this week with Aaron Donald because he beats everybody. So both quarterbacks are going to be under more pressure. They both look great through two weeks, but they'll also be under more pressure than they have at any point during the season. It's going to be a great matchup in a lot of different things, but Jalen Ramsey now playing in that star role that – down in the slot. I mean, he made like three of the first four plays tackle for losses in the backfield in the game we did against Chicago uh, against Chris Godwin, which is going to be, you know, you don't think of Jalen Ramsey against Chris Godwin, who's in the slot, but that's that's it now. And, and he gets as many targets as anybody. That, that and team. that's where he played back at FSU. That's where he kind of cut his yeah. teeth in that role. And so not really a surprise to see him still dominating such role. And we also might finally get to see that Jalen Ramsey versus Gronk matchup that everyone, everybody wanted back in you know 2017 with the Jags. Like, they didn't really do it. Mm-hmm. It might now. Like, he plays in that kind of area. He's going to see more of Gronk than he would have. The Rams are point-and-a-half favorite in this one. Who would you take? I I just still – I like the Bucks. I think they're going to roll. I think a, that Rams Los offense, Angeles. I know, yeah. But I think that Rams offense will look different against uh, – you know, a real defense, particularly a front that's going to put them under pressure. And they do a really good job of stopping that run game. And that Rams offense, okay, pre-Matthew Stafford, but when teams have stopped the run, they haven't quite had a good plan B, a version, like a, an adjustment on the fly that makes everything still function. I go on, I'm leaning Rams. I, I think the home field's big here. I, I think they're an evenly matched two sides. Uh, I, I think the fact that Tampa is still down a cornerback, and Sean Murphy Bunting is going to be big with kind of all the Rams' weapons throw at you on the outside. I, I thought, and I said it during the broadcast of our first game, but I, I thought the only thing that could derail Tampa's team, of course, a, a year ago was, are these young defensive backs any good? And then they all stepped up in the playoffs and played great. Then Sean Murphy Bunting, who's their slot guy, ends up getting hurt. Uh, in that first game, and the depth of that is definitely going to be challenging. I also wonder, is this the first sort of breakout game for Deshaun Jackson? You just, I yeah. keep waiting for that sort of moment uh, that's going to happen with him. Um, God, that's a hard one to pick. I, I will say that one. Mm-hmm. How about the Chargers at the Chiefs? Now, this is uh, the Chiefs are a six and a half point favorite at home, and they're coming off a tough loss, one in which they, they definitely had a chance to go in and kick that game winning field goal against Baltimore, fumble from Clyde Edwards Lair, and, and that was that. Uh, but this is also the first time that we're going to see Brandon Staley and that defense going against the Chiefs. And the one good thing about Staley's defense, and we saw it with the Rams, is they don't give up a lot of deep plays. They also, you know, don't have Aaron Donald necessarily playing in the front. But your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I think generally teams have tried to force Patrick Mahomes into being patient, um, drop into coverage, try and take away those deep bombs. And somehow it always ends up getting away from them. They end up trying to chase the game and go after Mahomes and expose themselves to those deep uh, passes anyway. The stuff on the scramble drill, it's not supposed to be there. You know, by whatever you were running in the coverage shell at the start of the play, but six, seven seconds into the play, it ends up being there because everything breaks down. It it sort of feels like a game where this defense should cause some more of those mistakes from Patrick Mahomes than most defenses can. And Mahomes, I mean, he has an incredible track record of having amazing like box score stats when he doesn't play well. Because everything in that Chiefs offense is as good as he is. Andy Reid is an incredible play uh, or play designer, offensive genius. Eric Bieniemy 
uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. They've got so much going for them that even when Mahomes makes some mistakes and isn't as efficient as he usually is, it doesn't matter. They end up with a passer rating over 100 and everything cooks anyway. Um, so that was the, the case last week. You know, Mahomes made a couple of big mistakes. I don't know that he's playing that spectacularly right now, and it doesn't ever seem to matter. I do like the way, though, this charge defense sort of matches up. You have Guy and Derwin James, who we just talked about, Jalen Ramsey playing that star role. Derwin James plays that as well as anyone in the NFL, the highest grade safety in the NFL. He can take out, I don't want to say take out Travis Kelsey, but he can guard Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And then He's what's, done really well in the past against him. And so then what's Elsa Staley known for? The two high safeties basically taking away the deep ball. That's Tyreek Hill's thing. That's how Tyreek Hill changes games. Tyreek Hill's still going to get his underneath, and they're still probably going to move the ball offensively. But I like the chances of the Chargers basically limiting those explosive plays that make the Chiefs offense the Chiefs offense. And so with those two things sort of going hand in hand, I like the Chargers. They're kind of a sleeping giant in terms of their offense. You know, they, uh, Justin Herbert's played exceptionally well through two weeks, but they've only scored 17 points and 20 points. Like, I think this offense, they've shot themselves in the foot so much that if they can just not do that with the penalties, the drops, the whatnot, they're going to put up 30, 40 in this game. Yeah, Joey Bosa out there working against either one of the young tackles. Mm-hmm. They played better. Lucas Niang really is the third game of his career playing the right tackle position. So uh, that part of it is going to be interesting. I, I I just watched Kansas City. Of course, Baltimore is a great running team, and so you know you go, and so is Cleveland. So that's who they face the first two weeks. Yeah. Right? Those are different than what you're going to face anywhere, way different any other week. here. Yeah. So this is going to be a little bit more down their wheelhouse. I, I'd have to see. I got to see the Chargers beat them before I'm picking against Kansas City at home. But we shall see. The, the other one that is doesn't sound like a big game, but Indianapolis at Tennessee. I mean, this is sort of a two-team race here, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, unless something really weird happens uh, this season, you can't see Jacksonville, you can't see Houston uh, coming coming down the pike with this one. Um, but your thoughts on what what Derrick Henry and his his run numbers? You guys tweeted out for me uh, some interesting numbers, like Derrick Henry leads the league in rushing. And Derrick Henry, yards after contact, would be the second leading rusher in the NFL so far this year, which is unbelievable, really. Everybody, everything that we know about the run game, you know, over years, you've talked about it before, that all the data sort of said, hey, you should be running less, running backs, you know, that phrase, running backs don't matter, and all that kind of stuff. Everybody fights against that because of players like Derrick Henry. You know, because you're always chasing the unicorn, the guy that breaks all the rules. And actually, this guy does matter. And the longer he goes and the more he's able to do this year after year after year, it does appear that Derrick Henry legitimately breaks all of the data points that we know about running backs. He does get stronger in the fourth quarter when everybody else, it's just noise. He does keep uh, gaining more yardage than he should be gaining based off the blocking that's in front of him. His yards after contact numbers are insane his broken tackle rate, like everything we know about running backs and how it's not really a repeatable, sustainable thing. It's more about the blocking. All of that goes out the window with Derrick Henry, and he's the only player you can say that about. I do like the way the Colts match up with him, at least defensively, and kind of how they scheme their defense. And now, obviously, uh, I like the way they match up with Seattle, too, and Seattle kind of torched them over the top a few times, but they try to at least make you play in front of them like that that is the way that defense is set up in indy they're trying to 
make you throw the check down, come up, make those tackles, and basically limit big plays. And so if they can do that in this one, I, I, I like their front four being able to stop the run. Uh, they're eighth right now in terms of PFF run defense grade. I think they can at least do that serviceably against Derrick Henry to where – and I also just don't trust this Tennessee offense. They've played one, they played one good half in two games so far. The um, is, what's going on with the uh, the back end of Tennessee now? Is Caleb Farley is he playing? Is it Jack Rabbit, Jenkins, or, or those guys? Are they having any impact because they did give up a few over the top here on this in the last Farley's game? Farley's not. No, Farley eight eight snaps so far. Too. So yeah, the, and they the, were all they were all when the one. game was done. He was yeah. just in with the backups. Yeah. So the top draft pick not a part of it. How about Washington at Buffalo? So the Buffalo Bills now come in here, and Josh Allen, they put up 35. It's 35 nothing, which can be a little deodorant here, right? Yeah. Because even though Steve had to sign the apology form and, you know, <laughs> kiss ass, which I know was killing him, for, for <laughs> even for charity. Um, but it was – but he has not – so basically to give the background story, two years sort of inaccurate – Look like a little disappointing. Last year, <laughs> like second in the MVP balloting. And so far for two weeks this year, sort of back to where he was in the first two years, right? Yeah. When you look at his PFF passing grades, year by year, they went 58, 61, 89. And this year through two games, he's back to 59 again. So it's like three years that are all the same. And then this one crazy outlier that just jumped him from a below average passing quarterback to a guy that was as good as anybody in the NFL last season. Um, and that was kind of almost lost in, in what happened in week two is they put up 35 points. They stomped Miami. The dolphins obviously lost to us. So that was one of the big stories, but Allen again, like didn't look great. He made a couple of bad plays there uh, targeting Stefan Diggs that got him into trouble. It doesn't quite look like Josh Allen from last year yet. And all of the things that were being spoken about last year in terms of his footwork and all the mechanics that he'd changed in the offseason, all these kinds of things that had taken him from literally the most inaccurate quarterback in the NFL to top six, I think, last year by, by ball location data. None of that was there. Like, and, and in week one against Pittsburgh, you can kind of explain it, right? The Steelers are the best pressure team in the NFL. They're going to cause problems. They're going to make him throw from weird angles and off platform and under duress, Miami didn't do that as much, and he still had the same problems. I will say, though, I mean, those are two of the top five defenses in the NFL, yeah. Pittsburgh and Miami. Like, not that, like, you would, if you're paying a guy that much, you would hope he can rise above against the best defense in the NFL, but there's a reason the best defense in the NFL are the best defense in the NFL. It's because they have answers for all that the best offenses bring to the table. So I will withhold on the two two sort of two game sample size we've also got two more judgment go back to the playoffs withhold a little (laughs) judgment at this point and just say this offensive line has second lowest pass blocking grade of any offensive line in the nfl that is not a path to success that's what i'd be more worried about if i am a fan of the buffalo bills it's that this offensive line looks like they've taken a step back should not have performed that poorly against the miami front that is not super talented and oh yeah they got washington coming to town i was gonna say well here <laughs> comes got, number three exactly. right exactly and, so. and I, I get that washington's defense has been a little disappointing uh to date you would have thought more out of chase young you would have thought more out of montez sweat it's actually interesting that jonathan allen has turned into their best pass rusher uh coming from the inside and so you know can they give them that sort of 
heat, if you will, uh, coming out of the, you know, just pure pressure with Josh Allen because there has to be uh, this Washington, Taylor Heineke is playing well. Okay, all that stuff. But if they're going to win anything, they're going to win something on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and particularly the back end. Like, that's been their big concern. How's is, William Jackson been doing? I saw he gave up a few plays when I was watching the other night. Yeah, he's given up some plays. He's made a couple as well. It's it's kind of the William Jackson that we've seen the last couple of years in Cincinnati, which is obviously a far cry from the guy that, you know, back in whenever it was, 2017. The miracle year. Yeah, looked like he was going to be the next great corner. Like, I was shutting down Antonio Brown twice in the season when Brown was, like, in his heyday. Um, looked incredible that year and just never really got back to that level again. But part of it is because that defensive front hasn't been as dominant. Like they haven't been just terrorizing opposing offenses with pressure, which obviously hides a bunch of kind of cracks on the back end. Yeah. Um, Chicago Bears and Cleveland Browns. It, it, a really interesting game, obviously. Justin Fields is going to make his first start for uh, Andy Dalton, uh, and that's good. It, and probably the most interesting part of that one is has just been the Bears' inability to hit big plays. You know, they just have been underneath, underneath, underneath. The, the 4% of the Bears' passes have resulted in 15-plus yard gains, which is last in the NFL. Justin Fields, if nothing else, mm-hmm. even if it's just with his legs, is going to scramble, is going to make runs, is going to take shots down the field. God only knows, you know, he throws the pick six in the game the other day. And, right. You know, so he's going to make his fair share of mistakes. But the X factor in this offense is going to come out now. Yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton had one big-time throw this season before he went down. Justin Fields has two in 15 pass attempts. Like, <laughs> you're going to get high-end plays from Justin Fields. The question is... Where does that balance fall between all the things that he's bringing to the table as things that he can do and Andy Dalton couldn't versus, you know, holding on to the ball a long time, not having a great feel for the pocket right now um, and potentially making more mistakes that Andy Dalton makes? Yeah, it's a, um, you know, the other part of it is Baker, too. Uh, I've had a lot of weird things happen in my body and a lot of different injuries. I've never had my shoulder pop out and pop back in. Now, Austin, my son, has had that a few times where that happened to him. He's like, ah, you know, it's good. It's good. And that's sort of what Baker did, too. He's like, okay, it's good. You know, we'll, we'll just go back at it. Um, but you know, this has not been, uh, Jarvis Landry now is going to be out. I don't know about Odell. I don't think he's back yet, but he should be. So it's sort of come down to the tight ends now of the Cleveland Browns that have sort of been the guys put front and center, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Harrison Bryant, those guys are now having to step up and make the plays. Well, it's that play action game. I mean, it's basically if they can run on you they have a very good chance of winning the game because they are going to run play action, run play action. They're going to do that all day, every day. If you have that rushing threat, they're available to you. And those are the guys that are going to target. The tight ends are the Anthony Schwartz's on the deep overs, that sort of thing. So that's kind of their offense right now. The drop back sort of traditional passing game could be in trouble. I think you kind of saw that in the Chiefs game when they didn't have down the stretch, like they didn't have guys getting open in that sort of two-minute drill when you have to score, when when the play action is not an option. That's where you start to worry about the Browns. But in a game against the Bears, where it's like, I think they'll be ahead early on, I think you can see that that offense get rolling. How about the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots? <laughs> uh, you tell me, uh, which is Jameis Winston 
first week, Jameis Winston. He's both. That's the great thing about Jameis yeah. is that that's always, <laughs> always been. Jameis Winston is the most highly volatile quarterback in the NFL. And any given week, you can get incredible Jameis. You can get terrible Jameis. And there's really no logic as to when either one of them is going to show up. Um, he's only played Bill Belichick once before. Back in 2017, Jameis played okay. It was like a 70 grade at PFF, 300 yards. Um, so I think that's an interesting matchup. Like, what does Belichick do to try and find bad Jameis in this game? Well, I think it's the thing that I kind of just mentioned with the Browns. It's week one, they had whatever they wanted on the ground. And so then basically it, they could, they were in favorable situations left and right. There was no time where it was like, we have to drop back and pass with Yeah, Jameis. he threw it 20 times. Yes. And five, I saw five touchdowns. I yeah. said, he must have thrown it 40 times. He threw it 20 times. No. And that hid the fact that that's one of the worst receiving groups in the NFL without Michael Thomas. Maybe the worst. Like they, Those are not guys that can get open on their own. And so against the Patriots, if they load up box, stop the run, Bill Belichick, obviously man coverage is bread and butter. I don't, I don't foresee him having a lot of options open on the outside. I, I do worry about seeing a little bit more bad Jameis this week as well. Yeah, and we really haven't seen Mac Jones have to stretch yet, right? I mean, the defense mm -hmm. has been playing well enough uh, on that side of the ball. They're getting turnovers, all that sort of thing. So we haven't seen him sort of have to push the ball or do some of the things that we saw that Jameis had to do. Um, as you look at Mac Jones right now after a couple of weeks, what are you thinking? I mean, I like, I think Mac Jones has probably looked the best of the rookie quarterbacks, but that's becoming a lower bar by the week. <laughs> no like, doubt. He's had an average depth of target of 5.7 yards, which is going to be basically the bottom of the league every single year if that holds throughout the season. And he still managed three turnover worthy plays in that period of time. Now, okay, one of them was a, like a weird fumble where he kind of went went full Jameis himself and kind of spun, uh, spun around and threw the ball at the dirt. Backwards. Um, but I think he still looks pretty poised and in control of what that offense is, they would just like for him to not have to do much. Yeah. I mean, he looks like right now he's playing the game like Alex Smith played yeah. in his prime, which is take what's there because that's all they've had to do. Like they have been up in these games, obviously not even the Miami game. They were up and then obviously fumbled it away or had a chance to fumble it away. But like they never had to come back from like two scores, never had to really operate a two minute drill and push the ball down the football field. So he is, you know him going to his running backs, going to his check down consistently. It hasn't burned him, but there will come a time when he's going to have to open it up, and then we'll see. You know who Mac Jones really is, but I think we're still kind of. It's been which what's asked of him right now has been the least of any of these rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's interesting too to me that New England has found its footing again. And I think people forget. You know, Dante Hightower was opted yeah. out a season ago. They've gotten uh, this Josh Uchi, or however you say his name, is is become a guy. Matthew Judon, who yeah. people sort of dismissed a little bit. Okay, mm -hmm. it's part of that Raven system that you know, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get pressure, but they're gonna get it as a team kind of a thing with all the blitzing that they do. Uh, but good enough play on the back end now. So if, if the defense can keep the pressure off, at least for half a season right and let Mac sort of find his way um uh, you, you do kind of get the uh, the understanding now of why cam was probably cut it's like you don't want to have a fallback plan when you've got a rookie quarterback because you're going to have bad days yeah so if you've got cam sitting over on the sideline you don't want the chant to start either in the stands or from within the team coach come on what are you doing let's get our veteran back in here I think there's probably also something true about 
this idea that Cam Newton brings a an unusually strong just aura in terms of like players respecting him and guys in that locker room he's looking fun. to him. Right. He's and fun. he's he is a natural leader and he's a guy that everybody has always loved and thought was incredible and the Superman, all that kind of stuff. And if you're just turning the keys over to Mac Jones, who let's be honest, like Mac Jones has a little bit of a like a PR problem, you know, an image issue. Like the the goofy strut to the draft, the dad bod, this like it just it's not a good look, right? And if you've got Superman, I think it's a great over look, here, honestly. Yeah. You know, I feel like a pro athlete. <laughs> yeah. But if you've got like Superman sitting over here on the bench, like looming over his shoulder when he has a couple of bad games, yeah, that doesn't feel like it would help. Yeah, going from the guy who was the leader of your team a year ago, who had that locker room probably the respect of that locker room to then just like not not a willful passing of the torch basically cam said he wanted to be the starter you know obviously wanted to be the starter that's going to be a difficult situation to manage and i i think the sort of like you said the fall having a fallback plan there or or, you know should mac jones get hurt is not as basically valuable having that fallback plan to having Mac have the complete control of that locker room and complete situation to develop on his own is yeah, better for long-term. The, the other part, of I, I really thought they might keep Cam just, you know, red zone is so tough yeah. in the NFL and just he gives you another option down mm-hmm. there. And usually it's the rookie, like it would be Tastes Justin Fields coming in and, you know, but yeah. where you could have the veteran coming in in that red zone. I, I And no, not one person in the NFL is ever going to admit it, but the COVID situation with cam had to play a factor it's one thing if he's a starter it's another thing being the backup in the quarterback room that could wipe out any chance you had potentially for two weeks of winning a game like the potential time bomb you know that one Mm -hmm. that an unvaccinated backup quarterback is in terms of potential like taking out your entire room one day is is dangerous it's one thing if it's the starter and you're like okay in an ideal world we'd love this guy to be vaccinated but he isn't we just have to live with it but if it's the backup like you've got a lot of incentive to not have that guy around anymore. I would think so too. How about Atlanta at the New York Giants? Uh, the Giants <laughs> probably played well enough to win the other night, right? I mean, that was that was kind of a. But this is this is bad on bad here. Now this is one of those. Well, if you can't beat the Falcons or you can't beat the Giants, kind of games, you know, how seriously are we going to take these two teams? This is like so, Daniel Jones. I think is actually becoming a pretty good quarterback and might not get any credit for it because the offensive line in front of him is terrible. The defense is taking a massive step back this year or, or the competition they're facing is taking a step forward. Either way, they're not as good as they were looking a year ago. And we may come out of the year with Jones playing significantly better, but the Giants not having any kind of any more of an improved record and people wanting to push the reset button there. Yeah, you just you didn't you didn't fix it. You didn't fix the offensive line that, that's really basically it and it's and it's not it's kind of a twofold thing where it's like some quarterbacks could survive behind a bad offensive line daniel jones is not one of them yeah. because of his turnover problems right. like because he is so turnover prone in terms of the fumbles led the league both years he's been the starter there and the picks like you just cost yourself games because he's not the type of quarterback he is and, and the way he operates the offense is like eight-yard gain, 12-yard gain, eight-yard gain. Like, it is an underneath intermediate passing attack. It is not an explosive big play. And when you have a bad offensive line, that means one sack and all of a sudden you're screwed because you have no downfield sort of threats or no – and obviously they wanted Kadarius Tony to be that, but so far he obviously has struggled to even see the field. So 
as it kind of stands right now, you're in this no man's land as an offense where you don't have the personnel to run the offense you want to run. And are we ever going to see Atlanta's offense get there? You know, I mean, no. you're saying no. I, I No Derrick Henry, that's it, huh? Well, it's kind of no Julio Jones also. You know, you don't have the A.J. Brown. You, you don't have the two the two guys that you can trust to get open. Tennessee, when it was humming, they had Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. Both those guys can get open on their own. Right now you have Calvin Ridley, but no one else to take attention away from the defenses. And the way they're using Kyle Pitts in that is kind of how they use John Smith That's the with the Titans, which is not – John Smith had like 600 yards last year. It's not featuring him as a passing weapon. It's more he's kind of the underneath crossing route guy in that offense, not the guy who is winning one-on-one down the football field. And so you're seeing Matt Ryan just not attacking down the field. And obviously the offense line is a factor in that too, but you really – they don't have – basically what Tennessee had that made Tennessee so great. That was my biggest fear for Kyle Pitts coming into the the NFL was, is he going to land somewhere where a team actually uses what he's capable of doing, or are they just going to say, you're now our tight end, that's what we're using? Like, Kyle Pitts has the potential to be the Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, the other threat on the opposite side of Calvin Ridley, be open wherever you line him up, whether it's on the perimeter, whether it's from the slot, whether it's in line – and make plays, and they're not really giving him the opportunity to do that. Even in the game last week, like there was a, a pass Matt Ryan threw him that was like a full half yard behind him. His ability to just turn, snag it, and keep running as if it wasn't as if it was perfectly in stride mm-hmm. is as good as any receiver I've ever seen at any position. And they're not maximizing the impact he can have as a true like receiving weapon. Yeah, I mean, I think they'd be better off right now if. They literally just – he was your played wide receiver. As, yeah, played exactly. him at X. Yeah, that, like that is your other guy. It is those two, you know, basically what you did with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley last year. Julio Jones seamlessly takes over whatever role you would have had Julio Jones in. Tell you what, Julio Jones may not have made all the highlight plays a week ago, but he kept them in the game while they were trying to – stay in the game. He made some big plays after getting his ass chewed during the course of the week. So um, Dallas and Philadelphia. Now I got to watch quite a bit of the Eagles tape uh, this past week. Um, And I'm going to tell you, I I don't know. I don't think they're going to be a great team. That is one physical football team up front, especially on that defensive line. Um, going into the game against Green Bay now, I'm sitting there watching and I go, you know, San Francisco, okay, nobody's going to think that much of the, the wins that they have so far. But that was a war. That defensive yeah. line and, and front seven for Philadelphia was attacking. And San Francisco is known for their physical play and, and tight ends and wide receivers blocking and running hard and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you had to, if I had to, if there were a fight and I had to decide it, I would give it to Philadelphia. I thought they took it to them a little bit, and they were kind of lucky to come out of there. Yeah, and they left some big plays on the table as well. Yeah, like they sure you, did. You look at Devontae Smith's stat line, it was like seven targets and two catches for not very much, and you're like, uh-oh, like what happened here? And you go back and actually watch him. Like He's still getting open. Jalen Hurts underthrew him on a couple of deep shots. That The first one early in the game, he was like well behind the defense. That could have been a big sort of 50-plus yard touchdown. Um, they're getting open still. I mean, I think that is what you're seeing is week one, Jalen Hurts probably wasn't an accurate reflection of what he's going to be. That was a reflection of facing the Atlanta Falcons. 
but he's not going to be bad. Like he's he's capable of making sure, we some got plays. Him as the second highest graded quarterback, right? Right, now. but he but he's still you know there's a couple of plays that he's going to leave on the table most weeks, and that's going to be the difference between him being you know an elite quarterback that they're 100 percent confident in next year or sort of coming out of this year a little bit on the fence about where he leaves. You know, he came out and he was running the ball a lot. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going, well, this is interesting. And then you start going, all right, Trey Lance. And is there, you know, you, there's just there's just different ways of, of now looking at this game in this league. And I think Jalen Hurts sort of typifies that. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, you can't discount whatever he had, 70 yards rushing or something during the course of the game. It gives you such a high floor. Like it's it's yeah, very yeah. hard to be terrible on offense if you've got a quarterback that can pick up twelve yards anytime you switch off. Yeah, um, Dallas is is. Um, do they have a running back situation going <laughs> they on? Should. Now? I, I mean, how many? T- how long have we been talking about Tony Pollard? It's awesome in his production. Yeah. And sort of the explosiveness now. Ezekiel Elliott in the first game against Tampa that we did. Some of his blitz pickups right. probably, and that's why I think kept him in the game. Right? That's why they haven't made a switch. I think. Is, yeah, and, is, and and then the argument is, why are you talking about this? This is stupid. This is the NFL. Seventeen games. You need two backs anyway. But Tony Pollard now, as far as okay, I need a running play. Are you? Which one are you giving the ball to now? I mean, I'm giving it to Pollard. He's averaging almost twice as many yards per carry. He's just the more explosive runner. I think it's a more, it's a scarier rushing attack when you hand him the ball, and they have the highest run blocking grade of any offensive line in the NFL right now, and having gone up against you know some good defensive fronts themselves. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's too much to ignore. Like the grading has favored Pollard every year he's been in the league compared to Elliott. Elliott may be like for short yardage, but any other situation, like he's got to get more touches. And not just the grading, but like all the stats. Like yeah. he's number one in the NFL in yards after contact per carry since he entered the league. He's number two, I think, to Nick Chubb in terms of broken tackle rate. Like that guy is making his own yards in above what the what the Dallas offensive line is getting him in a way dramatically different from anything Ezekiel Elliott was doing. And look, if you if you want to say, hey, look, Zeke needs to be in there for blitz pickup and he he needs to carry the ball as well, that's fine. But let's we need to start talking about like equalizing the workload here. Because at the moment it's still Zeke carrying the load and then every now and again Tony Pollard gets some plays. This should be a pretty even split ba- at minimum based off how much Pollard is like outperforming him. Uh, it's amazing when you start to think about the money that he got and how that might have been distributed in another day and age, right? Um, Zach Martin being back, he was out COVID the first game, so that certainly has been a factor. Um, but it, it's it, this is this is all of a sudden a, a, an interesting game. I, I think that at the end of the year, for me, it'd be hard. I'd be hard-pressed to not think that these are the two teams are going to be battling it out, sort of like Tennessee and Indy and the other one. It's like, you know, you don't think of week three as being that significant, but when you're talking about the two front runners, it probably is. Yeah, Yeah. I think this is a game the Cowboys, if you are going to control the East, you should win this game and win this game handily. If this, like, if you are the team that was billed last year before Dak's injury as the best in that division – Obviously, Dak got hurt and then came into this year still the favorites in that division. If you're going to run away with this division, you have to win. You have to clean up against the Eagles, Giants. You should win all four of those games, in my opinion. 
Let's so this game will already be played, so I don't want to spend a ton of time predicting it. But I do want to talk about something with the Carolina Panthers and, and with Tyrod Taylor not playing for Houston. You go, okay, let's 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 go. This Carolina is going to win. Now that's how I get destroyed. So, but by the time you listen to this, probably Houston will have won by four touchdowns. So, okay, in case Carolina wins, and in case because they have. Davis Mills playing quarterback, they look good on defense again. They're already the number one defense in the league, and they're going to be undefeated. They're going to be 3-0. and Yes, they're going to face Tampa here eventually, and they're going to play some tough teams. But they go Houston, Dallas, Philly, Minnesota. If the Panthers are really anything, they should have a chance in all of those. Yeah. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. I mean, and then they get a run of teams like, you know, the Giants, Atlanta. This is not the most difficult schedule in the world. They're going to start off 3-0, and I would be almost sure. The Panthers are going to look like one of the best teams in the NFL for most of this season. And then it may come down to earth pretty violently towards the end. Christian McCaffrey being back, certainly a factor. But, you know, they drafted, if I'm not mistaken, they drafted every single player was a defensive player a year ago, right? Right. Yeah, 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so and know, it's coming around here. Yeah, J.C. Horns are only allowed 18 yards through two games. They kind of moved him around. He was on the outside week one, played the slot week two. Uh, I think they're tapping into the fact that he's kind of like Jalen Ramsey. Like He was a very physical presence. That guy, you want him around the football as much as possible. So I think they're sort of diversifying his role, kind of like how they did with Jeremy Chin last year coming out. And Patrick Sertan is playing like that for Denver, too. So out, yeah. everybody that moved up or decided, remember all that with the quarterbacks? Oh, my God, they took <laughs> these two quarterbacks instead of the two quarterbacks, and maybe they knew what they were doing. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals at Pittsburgh Steelers. Not a great day for Joe Burrow. I mean, they really would have had a chance. They threw picks on three straight plays in yeah. the game, including a pick six to Roquan Smith. I this is getting interesting now because the the greats at a Sewell Chase debate. Um, their well, offensive line I mean, Sewell's playing, isn't it? Right, but but also I mean Chase has got fifty yard touchdowns in each game. That that connection is working, and Cincinnati's offensive line is not catastrophic. Now it's not good, right? They they've got a long way to go before it's a good offensive line, but it's it's definitely viable at this point. But Joe Burrow is still getting hit more than you want, still um, taking some of these shots. And now you have to start thinking, well, how much of this is, is on Burrow and how much of this is on the passing game, not giving him places to go with the ball earlier? Um, because these, like, this is why the debate was always crazy, because people were like black and white, Sewell or Chase. But all of these different factors are all part of this. Like it's not just the offensive line. It's... Joe Burrow has a tendency to hold on to the ball and create some of his own problems at times. You, you know what was interesting is this past week, and I never had thought about this before. Uh, we were talking about Alejandro Villanueva, who went to right tackle and really looked horrible yeah. on opening. Gave up 10 pressure. He just looked horrible. And I go, okay, he may not have been the greatest player ever in Pittsburgh, but he wasn't horrible. And then he comes back and he plays left tackle this last week, and he looks fairly normal. And in talking to some of the people this week, you forget, and I was, it was mostly about Ronnie Stanley that I was talking. And don't be surprised if Ronnie Stanley doesn't flip over to the right side at this point because you think about playing offensive line. Offensive line is really played kind of on one foot, right? Hmm. Once you do that kick step and now you, you plant your foot and 
And that's where those bull rushes you have to be able to maintain. So all the power is really on one foot. So if that foot is your bad ankle and the one you've had surgery on, wouldn't it make sense to flip to the other side and now play right tackle where you can you get all your power yeah. off of that? Because really that's what Ronnie Stanley could not do. Right. We just had um, Paul Alexander on our podcast yesterday, and we were talking a lot about this left tackle, right tackle stuff. And he was making a similar point in terms of, look, if you're playing one side, you're strengthening one side of your body to do all those movements. But the problem is that comes at the expense of the other side. So unless you're doing things specifically to kind of keep your body balanced, part of the problem with switching sides randomly, like in the middle of a season or whatever, is you're not as strong on that side. You haven't been building it up the same way. So he was saying that Andrew Whitworth after like every practice of his life would go and hit a, a bucket of golf balls because he, so he's a left-handed guy, but hits a club right-handed just because those are the ones that were around when he was learning. Oh, that's why he was hitting a bucket of balls after yeah, practice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, me too. It's that's about, what I'm doing too. It's all about strengthening the weak side, you know? I'll let my five handicapper over here have a go at that one. It's uh, it does strengthen. You do get, a bucket of golf balls will strengthen your strengthen, abs for sure. So it's definitely part of your work day. Just as a yeah, way I mean, I do it to stay in shape. For I know, sure. That's, that's why golf. We appreciate it. We we do appreciate it here. Arizona Cardinals at Jacksonville. So Arizona is going to be the big favorite here, and and Jacksonville looks like they're going to struggle. Um, Kyler Murray, former number one overall pick, who now is very much in the MVP kind of race at this point, and Trevor Lawrence, who. You know, it's going to take a minute here, I think. Yeah. I, I I think he's closer than the grade would suggest. And now I'm not going to say he's played good football. He has a 47.8 overall grade. He has played some awful, awful plays on tape and has been inaccurate with football. But the thing is, he wasn't inaccurate at Clemson. You know, he, we have a big sample size to say, no, he wasn't the most pinpoint of accurate quarterbacks in, in college football. But... He was very accurate for a college football quarterback, especially down the football field. And that's just one of the things that that will start to come around the more comfortable he gets with his wide receivers and, and the more comfortable he gets in that offense. And I go to the play last week, the picky through to Patrick Sertan. It wasn't a bad throw. It was actually a fantastic position to put it in. But he has to realize that in the NFL, you, when you have Colin Johnson going up against Patrick Sertan, Colin Johnson is probably your fourth or fifth wide receiver going up against you know, a number one type of cornerback like Patrick Sertan, you can't just throw the go ball. You, you can't just give that guy a chance because gonna, he's going to get boxed out to the sideline like he did, and Patrick Sertan's going to pick it off. So I think the more he starts to adjust to the NFL game, because in terms of you know, facing pressure, facing blitzes, I, I think he's been good in those areas. It really has just been the accuracy and basically when to take those chances on the football field versus when not to that we've seen from him. So I, I don't think he's too far away. I think a lot of his accuracy problems, so he has – 36% of his pass attempts have been uncatchable, which is the highest rate in the NFL. Mm. But I, I agree with you. I don't think it's a product of him just being an inaccurate passer of the ball. I think he is. It's a product of him being late on almost everything right now. So, And he still has a like one of the highest average depths of target in the NFL. So he's late on things further down the field, which is just giving defenders a, a greater chance to like, – more time to break on the ball and cause problems. So some of these throws are just because he's late on it and throwing it into a place where the window is closed before the ball arrives. And that is the kind of thing I think that will get better. But it's also the kind of thing where, like, the scheme could take a big bite out of that tomorrow if they adjusted things. You know what I mean? Like, they're not helping him out 
and, and giving him things that would make his life immediately easier. That's yeah, they've kind of just like thrown him into the deep end. Yeah. Like he's dropped back to pass 88 times in two games. Like they're just saying, hey, go win us these football games. We're not going to really give you these right. layups. Average depth of target, though, under five yards to Chenault. So, I mean, it, it, it's – I don't know. But uh, the flip side, let's let's talk about it, a little bit of fun stuff. Kyler Murray on the other side has proven that this sort of mobile quarterback is – here to stay you know i mean there you can say what you want about question their passing and maybe they don't pass it as well as they run it and you know lamar jackson kind of arguments whatever but this sucker's playing both i mean he's making throws he's making runs he's he seems like he's fitting in all right right now leads like joint top in the league i think right now in big time throws and what's most impressive about it i don't think is the number it's like the variety. Like he's made every type of incredible play so far this season and just hitting like at that point you become impossible to defend because whatever you do, he's capable of doing something to beat it. I don't I do still worry about that offense though, because we've seen this sort of we've hot seen this start. before. You're not just hot start. We've seen him have games where it's like, wow, look at those like five incredible plays that he made. But none of them are him. Uh, not none of them. I shouldn't say none of them. They had that slot fade in week one that came basically as a, through the play call. But, like, this is all him doing it himself. He's not necessarily that offense in Cliff Kingsbury designing it up to give him these easy throws. It's, oh, oh shit, nothing's there. Let me let me run around for 10 seconds and then find this guy open. That's great. But some defensive lines, when your offense lines all of a sudden overmatched, they're going to corral you outside the pocket. Like, you're facing, I don't know, say you're facing, like, the Browns. You got Miles Gear and Jamie Clowney. They can keep you in the pocket if they want to. So uh, can they though? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they, like you have. Sometimes you'll face athletic teams. So like the face the Washington football team. You got Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat. Those are long dudes that can I mean, just collapse the pocket and not necessarily. He made uh, Danell Hunter look ridiculous. So like Danell yeah. Hunter is one of the best athletes you're going to find on the edge, and he ran around him like he wasn't there. But I'm saying the sustainability yeah. is worrisome because again, we've seen this before. How about the the Jets and the Broncos? The Broncos now jump out two and zero. Von Miller's back. You know he's looking like Von Miller once again. And talking about going from the pot to the frying pan. You know Zach Wilson's going to go from Bill Belichick to Vic Fangio here in back to back weeks, and so it's not going to be fun. Yeah, it's not. They they've got some work to do with Zach Wilson as well. Like. It- if you had told me this was his, this was going to be his start before I'd seen preseason, I wouldn't have been shocked by it. You know, just the way he played the game in college, but the way he made everything look so calm and collected and in rhythm and just well, like good in preseason, it's a little bit shocking to see him struggle as badly as he has. But again, it feels like like this is an offense that needs to make they need to make like the idiot-proof version this week and just be like, look. We're not going to ask you to do anything complicated. This is going to be entry-level stuff because I think the way he plays is a real danger of him sort of skewing down that road of just trying to do everything himself and play kind of hero ball from weird angles and not with his feet set and all that kind of stuff, which is great when everything's working and you're, you're able to sort of do those things on top of it. But when everything's bad and you're leaning into that style of play, it feels like a way of getting yourself into trouble pretty quickly. The other game that sounds like should be a comfortable win at this point are the Dolphins going in and playing the Raiders. The Raiders have been very impressive, especially on defense. 
uh, so far. Their pressure rate has just been off the charts in Gakwe, Crosby. Those guys on the edge are just, you know, they've been amazing so far this season. Um, and, you know, gave Ben a really rough time. I mean, Ben was getting whacked uh, in that game against the Steelers a, a week ago. Are we are we buying into the Raiders at this point? Sort of. Like, they it it's going to be three weeks, and we're not going to know how good their pass rush is because they've faced three really bad offensive <laughs> lines. Like, say they're living right with yeah. the tackles they're facing. This right will now. be the third offensive line they face where they're clearly not capable of blocking those guys on paper. Like it, Miami may be the worst. Yeah, so... Yeah. You know, Max Crosby leads the NFL in pressures right now by like four. He's going to rack up more against Miami. They're they're reshuffling a line that was already bad. It's going to be a bloodbath again. And Jacoby Brissett comes in, and while he might withstand the beating more, he's going to hold on to the ball longer than Tua did. So that could be even worse this week. So it's going to be weird because a little bit like Carolina, we're going to be a month into this thing, and the Raiders' pass rush is going to look like the best unit in the NFL and they might not even be great. They might not. They might be okay. And they've just faced three terrible lines. But you know, Derek Carr is playing. I mean, it's not like kind yeah. of playing. He's playing. I think that's the biggest thing. Is they really didn't. They just needed the defense to be somewhat average. Oh, they were. You know, they, they were the worst. Maybe one of the worst in the NFL last year. Probably at least bottom five. They just needed it to be somewhat average because they have the pieces offensively and. Kind of one of the more underrated things about the Raiders is how much Gruden's offense has evolved from when he started in 2018 to now. They're almost indistinguishable from each other. Like he's doubled his usage in pre-snap motion and pre-snap shifts. Like it is a vastly different offense and basically kind of copied personnel-wise what they have in Kansas City with Ruggs and Waller. And it's a path to success. And it's led to Derek Carr being one of the most aggressive quarterbacks as opposed to, you know, the guy after he broke his ankle that would get lampooned for looking like Alex Smith all of a sudden has the fourth highest average depth of target on third downs over the past year and a half of any quarterback in the NFL, right behind Patrick Mahomes. So I do think that this offense is for real, and all they needed was defense to be mediocre, and I think they look better than mediocre right now. So we go on to uh, Sunday night game, Green Bay, San Francisco. And this is, you know, you, you slice it a thousand different ways and you go, okay, I like San Francisco's team better. I like Green Bay's quarterback better and probably running back better and probably lead wide receiver better in Devontae Adams. Is there enough firepower within those three skill position players to hold off what seems to be – an advantage for San Francisco everywhere else. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is what's what Aaron Rodgers is going to get this week. Is he going to come out firing? Because I think he can put up points in the 49ers, but I I don't trust the Packers' defense to stop the 49ers is the thing. It's the Packers' offense right now, after the first two weeks, it's kind of like, what are you going to get? But with 49ers' offense, you know what you're going to get. They're going to pound the run on you. They're going to be able to do that with how – just depleted this Packers defensive line has looked I mean, without Zadarius Smith. It, it, if they have the running backs. I mean, they are – I have never seen a team. It's sort of like I know. Baltimore last yeah. week and their first three guys were out. It's possible the first four or five guys for San Francisco could be out. But I think like Baltimore, they're, one, like they're two of the top three teams in the NFL in terms of just being able to grab a running back, plug them in. I, I'm with on. you. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you. That was obviously true with Baltimore right. last week. I mean, they were just like – they look great. So I think I think Mike's right. I think they'll have success on the ground. They have every time they face the Packers in recent years, which is one of the reasons that Green Bay, I think, had that weird draft where they brought in A.J. Dillon, drafted like an H-back in the third round and didn't do anything to help Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. It was like, we, that's the offense we want to be. Um, 
but yeah, now it's it's a case of what what Rogers are we getting this year? Because he hasn't doesn't look like the same guy he was last year. It's a another sort of Josh Allen story, um, and they need him to be they need him to be that MVP Rogers for that offense to be as good as it can be. You guys are the best, man. I love doing it. PE's over. I got to go. I got John Lynch going to be calling in in a minute. Here's we're getting ready for Sunday night football as well. Uh, but thank you guys. That was fantastic. Thanks for having us. Yeah.